Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Again and welcome to episode 181 of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. We've got a jam-packed show for you. Obviously on Sunday's show we, we didn't look over anything that had happened in the San Jose game. We had our Wavelength special, hope you enjoyed that. So this episode it's jam-packed wall-to-wall caps and we've got a lot to cover. There's been two games played since we last did a show like this. San Jose away, Tigris away. I was going to say two kind of very different performances. It was two very interesting games. Let's just leave it at that to start with. We're going to start, though, by talking about the Tigris game. Tuesday night, history was made. The Whitecaps went to Mexico for the first time. Champions League Cup semi-final. Came away with a 2-0 defeat. Have to say, that's way better than I was expecting. And I know, the, you had 4-0 or yeah, something Yeah, like and, and, and despite me expecting a hammering, despite me knowing that Tigris are by far the better team, I'm left at the end of this 2-0 defeat feeling really gutted and really disappointed, basically because of the way that the goals played out. I know, that's 100% true. Like, if you were to, before the game, if, if you were to be told it's 2 nothing, you have no problem oh, with it, right? you'd bite someone's hand off. But the fact that it was, and we'll get, I guess we'll get into more, but the whiff... And then the own goal on that play, and then just the deflection, and the, he he happened to uh, bounce that in. It's like those two goals. It wasn't like Tigers yeah. actually like earned those goals. Well, I guess they did. But, well, they both but, came from Whitecaps' mistakes. Yeah, exactly. But Tigers were good enough to capitalize on it, and the Whitecaps had a chance to pounce on a couple of Tigers' mistakes, yeah. and they weren't good enough oh, to capitalize they were, on that. That that's a significant uh, yeah. understatement. It, it, literally, the, there's like four plays that decided the game. But yeah. the, the thing for me that stands out is the overall commitment of the players to the cause. Like, every, like I, I know there was these little errors, but, like, every player seemed more dialed in and focused than we've seen in a long time, even more than de- uh, the game in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, you know, which they also seemed highly focused on playing a certain way. But they were, you could tell it was more preseason back then, and they weren't in the full yeah. fitness. Well, you say everyone was dialed in. I... I beg to throw it up in here, general? Christian Teixeira not being dialed in on that second goal. And he did not track his man. We're going to hear from Robo in a little bit. He, he gave us a call last night, and he basically alluded to that as well. 66 minutes, 
you've kept Tigris off the score sheet. On Monday, and if you were a subscriber to our extra podcast, you would have heard Robo's conference call talking about the game. On Monday, Robo talked about how this was a game, he was laying it out in four 45-minute spurts. That's basically how the game plan was going to be. So, phase one, first 45 minutes, went totally according to plan, shut out Tigris, looked pretty comfortable. Maybe a, a, a couple of like slightly scary moments, but really you, you didn't feel that they were going to be overrun. The first 10 minutes were going to be key, yeah. and the White Cats looked composed. They maybe didn't have a lot of the ball, but they, they didn't really look under a lot of danger. No. Getting to halftime at 0-0, that was a fantastic achievement. Oh, huge, yeah. Oh yeah, it was a, we played we played a great first half, a great away first half in an aqua competition, and I think the the players can be proud of that. The, uh, I totally agree with that, and I would, if if I was a betting man, I would never have bet on that scoreline. No, um, I would. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have bet on De Jong being the first white cap to get a yellow card either. Yeah, well, that was such a lazy yellow card too. I'm, uh, let's not talk about yellow cards. <laughs> but uh, the. You, if you were a betting person, you would say the, the Whitecaps are going to give up a goal in the first 10 minutes is most likely out of all the 10-minute yeah. periods during the whole game. The The fact that they got out of that first 10 minutes, and they didn't, they looked composed. Um, they didn't look like too shaky. Although I know everybody's going to be a little shaky when you're playing in Mexico for the first time, but it wasn't like a typical one where you see everybody like falling over each other. We, we took it at the pub. We took it as a, our approach was we were playing nine 10-minute games. So, so every, yeah, every, no, that's the way. It's every to do every it. time the clock hit in the next ten minutes, everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah I've never looked at a clock. I don't think so much in a match as I, as I did in that last and night. And it went so slow the clock oh. yesterday. But we're going to talk about the defense uh, in the second part um, and some individual performances there. But I want to look at the two goals. The first goal, have to talk about Kendall Waston. He was excellent, and we will talk about him in part two. But he failed to clear. It kept the danger on, and then he turns it into his own net. Yeah. You really felt for him, and it was just unfortunate the way that that kind of opened in the, the game up. Yeah, he had time to clear like properly. He didn't have to rush that. But somebody was saying, uh, I think it was on the broadcast, his weaker left foot. I don't care how weak your left foot is, you still should be able to clear it somewhat better than that um, from the box. Yeah, it was it was definitely, I and I agree with. Uh, sorry, I agree with you. He had a fantastic game overall. Yeah, I think he had he had a gr- overall a great performance. For me, the bigger the bigger issue was the clearance, not the not the attempted no. yeah. block. Yeah. I know. So I mean, that, that happens to the best defenders. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he tried to cover. I know when you look at it, his his slide. Okay, yeah, you say he's recovering because of the initial error. His slide. It wasn't like he was inside the post. No. He was outside the post. Yeah. So was uh, I, this, it was a good play defensively. Yeah, some people I've heard some people say that maybe there wasn't a threat behind him and he yeah. should have left it. But but if you look at if you look at the uh, I think it was Jiniak that that crossed the ball in at that point, he he hammered that ball into the thing. I think he was thinking let's bounce it off somebody because he saw a lot of people in that box. I think they were just what he wanted to get it off anybody. Well, that's what top strikers it. do. Yeah, like you, you put the ball in the danger the area pace, and yeah. you see what. What comes out of it, and that's basically like where, where we fall down. He wasn't laying it off as a pass for anybody at that point. He yeah. wanted to just hammer that ball into the six yard area. Hopefully, it knocks off somebody and that, and it goes in. And we look at the second goal as well. Big failure to track back from Christian Teixeira left a lot of open space, but again, it kind of stemmed from the Whitecaps being unable to to clear the pressure to begin with. 
And you're looking at it, it's the 87th minute. You're thinking, wow, if we get out of here, just one, one goal down, yeah. this is phenomenal. But then it, this could be the the key, this could be the killer second goal. And it just left you so deflated that you expected more, but to lose that second goal, yeah. just I let out the biggest F-bomb scream. So question to you guys, both you guys. Obviously, I might already have your answer, Michael, but which goal was more deflating, the own goal? Or the second goal with five minutes to go. It's kind of like a very hard, uh, difficult decision to say which one was worse, right? Obviously, one's... For me, the second, because I expected them to at least score one. Yeah. So well, you I mean, expected yeah, four. Well, yeah. But, I mean, you know you know, a goal was likely to come. Yeah. So, I mean, when that second one went in, having defended so well, and having just like done maybe so five, much six hard minutes work, to go yeah. Too. Yeah, I think it was the second one as, as well. It was just, yeah. It was just like the... the the quickness of Vargas just to to, res, to respond to the, the the ricochet or the ball that the, the ball that got came off the defender or whatever, yeah. and he hammered he hammered it. But so, he kind of mishit it too, and I think that's yeah. what that's maybe what uh, made Ousted not get it to it. I know because I, I watched Cause it, I was like, should Ousted have done better with that? No, I think because he mishit it, it kind of bounced past him. I think if it had just been a solid strike, Ousted might have got to it. Um, because it might have gone into the middle of the net, not gone out to the the, the towards the post. Yeah. So it, it, his miss hit might have been a per, uh, what made it go in. Tigres dominated that game, and when you look at it, the possession wise, Whitecaps had twenty one percent possession, seventy nine percent possession for Tigres. The the shots and the passing and everything was like mass mass difference as well. Yeah. The Whitecaps though had a couple of chances. Oh. We'll talk about the first one. Rex Shea, who we're going to hear from later <laughs> in the show, threw on goal, lost his footing as he went through. Sorry, what? Before, no. He lost his footing as he initially went through. And he was And then side. he went to the goalkeeper yeah. and he dived. He's going to say he lost his footing a second time, but he stumbled as he went through initially, which is why he, I feel he didn't do better. And he knew he'd wasted the opportunity. So he thought, hey, these CONCACAF refs are crap. I'm going to dive and see if I can get something. Yeah, it was it was embarrassing, um, but uh, was his touch that heavy past the keeper that he needed to no, go down? No, I don't I, think I, it was. It I, didn't that, look like he needed to go down. That's the annoying thing to me is, I think if he stayed on his feet, he could have got that and he could have tucked it away. He was still kind of stumbling from when he initially stumbled as he went through. I will. That's the only thing I'll say in his defence of that. I do wonder though. So many Whitecaps players were stumbling in that second half. Did they have the right footwear on? Or did they water the pitch in that side of the field more or something like that? because it it was a great chance and that's the difference between the top teams and the top players and the Whitecaps. Yeah, and you're you're thinking if it was... Like uh, Brexy is a, nice, a good player, but he never. I, I, and we talked about it when he came on as a sub. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem to have a good touch up top. He's not the guy that you want to be running in and so, go in that situation. You think if he's not, like, he's not a center forward. He's yeah. not. Like, you think not. if it's a guy like maybe a Kakuda was in that position, uh, Nicholas Mosquito was in that position, uh, Montero was in that position, that that would have been finished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to hundred percent. You have to have expected Montero. To, to do that yeah and like just quickly talking of Montero he got no service no. last night and that's he, he, looked, he looked poor well by the way but it's because he got no service by the way As someone pointed out to me Lenin would have looked poor 
playing with that performance last yeah. night. Mm. Oh, you disagree? He, he can create more for himself. How about um, but the the thing was they put out the when they put out the lineup, it looked like they, they were saying this is a four two three one, and he's playing behind. But they were it, behind, yeah, behind. I had him as a ten. Yeah, I think. it looked like a four four two. But it looked yeah. more like a four four two defensively and, at least. Yeah, he he did not contribute much yesterday, other than some running and some adding to that defensive shape, which was disappointing. But he obviously is not fully fit, and that was his first start. So I mean, for for me, the Shea chance was the the best chance. Yeah, Nicholas Mosquera, he came on. He had a great chance as well. Showed which he created himself. Yeah, showed great. Football IQ to yeah. pounce on that defensive mistake, and then just should have done better. You have to hit the target. Yeah, he he misses the shot. He shot wide. Yeah, should he have gone near post as opposed to back post or like through the keeper? Uh, yeah, what it comes down to is they scored two goals from all their chances. Yeah, we had two we had two chances and we didn't score them. And the other thing as well is like I'm talking about teams take those chances. If you look at Montreal's run to the final, to- they took to- those chances yes, in yeah. Mexico and the away games and anything that they had, they had someone that buried them. The The plus point is we created those chances. We showed we can get in behind the Tigers' back line. Yeah. And that gives me some hope going into the second leg. It's an uphill task. It, it is, but at least... The, like, if, you had, if it had happened like the way you were talking about 4-0... There'd been no hope, and I guarantee you there would be nobody in the stands, yeah. or very few people yeah. could show up to the game. Now it's 2 0. They could sell that they have a chance. They score two goals, it goes to um, added time, or extra time, whatever, and they can have a chance to do that then. Yeah, it, it, to me, it's, it reminds me, it's set up a lot like the, the final league match of, of last year, where we're going in and we need to win by two, or we kind of need to score three. We, we need to win by three, really. Uh, and it's one day. We're at home, and everyone knows what the job is. Yeah. And yep. if they all work together towards it, now obviously the opponent's far better than that day. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it, it, the away goal kills the tie. Tigers score at any point at BC Place, and the, the tie you can basically say is over. Unless we're already up four 0 Yeah. Now, so basically, the tie would be. No, but personally, for me, I would prefer. Uh, and you guys could talk about what you guys prefer. I prefer a five nothing loss. And they go after the game rather than being careful and you know losing maybe one nil or tying one one or something like that. Uh, I, 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 kinda, I disagree. I yeah. kind of want to. I personally want them to go after Tigris. I know they they maybe don't match up well against them uh, talent wise. I want them to go after them and go after the win and and score like go after it and and who if they lose they lose whatever it's a one one what's a one one good draw going to do in a in a two leg playoff when they're going to lose it's going to be I, overall 3-1 I loss. can almost guarantee you they're not going to go after them like gangbusters from the opening whistle I would prefer that that's my preference for, for me you have to play the patient game and you've got 90 minutes to score two goals then it goes to extra time and away goals are off off the table I want four goals in the first half by the way, I think the fans are going to be <laughs> expecting that. And funnily enough, that is actually what I spoke to Robbo about. So we're going to play some audio now. Carl Robinson gave us a call last night as he was just about to board the charter flight home. Got to say, first of all, really appreciate him taking the time to do that. So we only had five minutes with him because the plane was about to take off. But he made the time to speak to us. And the army was leaving too. So I Yeah, think all the armed guards were there. It's like... 
you're not getting on this plane unless you call the AFT and soccer show. <laughs> so that that's how it played out. We, we've we've got a little bit of pool there down there in Mexico. So Carl gave us a call. So we chatted about the game, just some of the players' performances, Ken Owos and David Usted, and what to expect in that second leg. Are they going to go gung-ho or are they going to play the patience game? So let's hear what Robo had to tell us. Well, first thing to ask you, I guess, then, is it's a couple of hours after the match, how, how are you feeling right now? What thoughts are going through your head? Um, the, game, the game actually panned out exactly as I thought it would in relation to the type of game it was. We knew that they'd have a lot of possession. We knew that they would uh, try and put us under pressure in certain ways. Um, but I thought the boys were excellent in the, the shape of the organisation and the discipline. But it was just disappointing that we the two goals came from two little details which we didn't get right. Obviously, the first one was an own goal, it's a clearance. And, and the second one, we, uh, we didn't track back properly. Uh, in time, uh, we didn't expect that to happen. Um, we let a runner go, and uh, obviously it was a great strike. But you know, there's a lot of positives and pluses. We're still in the tie. It's going to be very difficult, we know that. But we, we've got to try and get the first goal when we play in two weeks' time. Now, David Oosted was fantastic tonight, and kind of a little bit of redemption for him. He gets sent off on Saturday, and. Yeah possibly cost the game and then tonight he came up with six saves and a, a couple of really, really important ones. Just maybe talk a little bit about him. Yeah, no, listen, we know he can do that. Obviously, we want David to get back to his consistent best and, and do what he does the best we can week out. Unfortunately, on the weekend, it, was, uh, it didn't go his way. Um, but he's rebounded back very well and he's put in a really strong performance. As did a number of players, we've had all the players, you know, they, they give their all and I asked them to not leave anything on the pitch. I have no regrets. And we've certainly done that. And as I said, it's, they, were, they were a better team on the night. You know that. We, we know that there's a difference between Mexican teams and MLS teams. Uh, we're trying to narrow that gulf as much as we can. Um, but obviously we've got a second leg that we're, we're still very much in the tie if we can get this first ball. Kendo as well tonight. I, I know he got the own goal and you, you must really feel for him for that. But I mean, that, that aside... Some of the tackles he was putting in, especially the fact he'd got booked early on, you'd think it might might worry him, but it didn't seem to play in his mind, and he, he seemed to, to have a great showing out there. Yeah, he did. He, he's been excellent all season. You know, since he started the season with Red Bulls away, you know, the, the performances he's put on have been, have been very, very strong, and, and today was no different. Uh, again, I had a little concern when he picked up on the early yellow card, uh, but he handled the game very well. And, Take out the young goal, you know, you put on a monster performance. Having the captain's armband on him, and I know folks seem a bit obsessed about captaincy over here, but having that armband on him, though, does seem to, it brings the best out of him. It seems to calm him down a little bit. I think it does, and that's, that's the purpose of it as well. You know, it's to make him concentrate on being a leader, and, you know, we know he's a leader by the way he plays, and we just need to cut out the, the little bits and pieces that he got himself involved been too much last year with the, with the nonsense as I call it so as a captain you don't do that I don't want you to do that so the added responsibility hopefully uh, will continue to show his good form no, no goals tonight no shots on target tonight but there was a couple of glimpses there that, that you can get in behind that defence that you, you've got the, the players that, that can kind of unlock them a little bit Nico's chance Breck's chance it must give you a lot of hope for that second leg it is listen 
not over by a, a long way. And obviously they'll be pretty confident that I'll make sure they, they don't concede um, because that makes it difficult. But we're at home. Um, we know we're strong at home. We know they're not used to playing on turf. Uh, and we'll go after the first goal because we do it, we did have two guilt-edge chances today. Uh, and what I said to the guys is when you get the chances when you play against top, top teams, you have to take them. Unfortunately, we didn't take them. Uh, they took two of their number of chances that they had. So we knew that would be the case. Unfortunately, at this point, we couldn't get the away goal because that would have made it a little bit more interesting. But great experience for us, uh, great experience for the boys. They, you know, they gave everything. But we are still very much in this tie. And we'll go into that in the in the second leg of the mindset of trying to get an early goal in the first 20 minutes. And just the last thing, just kind of about that, the fans are going to be like, from the start, they're going to be like roaring the team on, wanting you to, to get the goal. But it's going to be a kind of matter of, a bit of a patient game as well, really, because you don't want to like open up and let, let them score. Yeah, listen, it's, it's important that we get the first goal. You know, we want to start well, which we, we like to help. But it's also important, well, if we get the first goal after 60 minutes, then we still just need one more goal. So we know we've got 90 minutes to try and score two goals and we have to make sure we don't concede any take the game to extra time. Um, so there's still all to play for one. I know the fans will get right behind this because it is a moment of history again. We're playing a home game in the Champions League semi-final. Uh, and if we're going to do something special, um, then we need them firmly all behind us. That's great. Thanks so much, Carol. Safe travels home and I'll, I'll see you at the weekend. OK, all right. Thanks, Michael. That's great. Thanks, Carol. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was Robbo talking about the game, uh, the uh, post-game after the match against Tigris. And my only disappointment in the interview was you didn't ask him about the Lucha Libre scene in Mexico and what he thought about that. I don't think they had a lot of time to watch the wrestling, but it was tweeted out that in the press box they had WWE Smackdown on last night. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, that, that made me feel better. Something else I actually meant to ask Robbo, but because we're really pushed for time, I wanted to ask him if if he screamed the profanity as loudly as I did when that second goal went in. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did. But Robbo there, we, we talked about Kendall Waston, we talked about David Usted. Um, just want to have a little bit of a chat about the Whitecaps' defence and kind of morphing that into the performance on Saturday uh, against San Jose. First of all, we talked a little bit about Kendall Waston and I asked Robbo there about whether being the captain has calmed him down and he's, as you heard, he basically said, yep, and that's part of the reason that he gave him the captaincy. Solid answer, to, yep. to, to, to be To give him that discipline. But he does look a lot more disciplined. And I know he got a yellow card last night, but it was a cheap yellow card, and I think it was a little bit harsh on him. But he knuckled down. He put in some really strong challenges last night, even on the yellow card. And I, I thought he was exceptional. No, 100%. And the, the, I think he kept uh, the defence organised. He, he was. Uh, you can see that he was shouting instructions to everybody. He was basically, essentially, the leader on the team. And the thing is, you talk about the defense on Tuesday compared to Saturday. And I personally think that the if they played like they played on Tuesday in any MLS game, they would have the best defensive record in MLS. So I and I'm sure Zach, you probably agree with that as well. Well, Mike, Michael and I were talking about this yesterday. This well, I wasn't thing. part of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I said to Michael, uh, I essentially, said, if you if you don't know, I almost got punched by Zach because I took his his uh, thing. I didn't know it was coming. 
Uh, Mike and I were talking yesterday, and I basically said this virtually the same thing to him. Yeah. I said, if we, and it, it's not just the back four, it's not just the defenders. It was the, the way the whole team yeah. played. Yeah. And if they if they played with that much commitment and focus and concentration to it's the defend, focus. It's the focus that apart was from Christian Tishera defensive shape yeah. and, and and defending period. If they did that in MLS games, it would be hard for them to lose MLS games. Yeah. Like, it, it might be hard for them to win because they're not going to score. No, but they won twenty. No, they still be able to. They, they, they still be able to yeah. counterattack. They'll still be able to find yeah. times where they can possess the ball. It's when you don't have the ball how you form exactly. every formation and, and everything like that. And, and they would, I think, they would take some of those chances that they, the two chances they missed in that game. I think against MLS teams, yeah. they're calmer, they're more relaxed. I think they take them. And the interesting thing for me, Robo said that they, they had planned the, the game went the way he thought it was going to go, but he said. Then we don't track back on the second goal yeah. for Christian Teixeira. And he went, so that we didn't plan for. So he has clearly told all the players, I'm looking for you to put in strong defensive shifts. And we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but you had Kakuta Mane on Saturday that did not play strong defensively. You had Christian Teixeira last night that did not play strong defensively. The Caps were punished when those guys did not do that. If Robbo is needing his team to play like that, do these guys have much of a future here? Well, it was uh, people on well, they, social media yesterday were clamoring. Oh, bring on, bring on Kakuda for the last fifteen minutes. Yeah, and, it's and, like they did not see the yeah, game. Yeah, did you not see what happened in in San Jose? There was there was no way Kakuda was going to be brought on yesterday because of his defensive liabilities, which is a reason why he was being played as a center as a center striker in other games this season. Yeah, and that's probably why they're going to try and use him there mostly this season is up top. Because of his defensive liabilities, yeah. and part of me wonders if the one thing about I'll say about Kakuda on Saturday, and I don't know how much you want to tangent too much into that, was I wonder how much of it for him was mental. I wonder how much of it for him was knowing I'm not going to be starting in, at, against Tigers. That's why I'm starting today. Whether he was told that or he just knew that, understood that, and that affected his play in the San Jose game. Well, the I'm not saying is, it should. I'm just no, saying the, yeah. the thing is if it affected if he was told that he wasn't playing against Tigers because he's not defensively responsible, then he it should have affected him where he showed defensive responsibility against San Jose. No, I don't think he I don't think he was told told that for no. that game, but I think Either they said you're starting at San Jose because you're not starting at Tigres. No, but he, but if or he, he, or he said, okay, I'm starting at San Jose. This means I'm not starting in Tigres. But he should have shown some responsibility. That way, it shows that he is could play in Tigres. Of course, Tigres. he should have. Yeah, what that's I'm, what I'm saying. That, what I'm saying is, I wonder if that played on him mentally. Uh, he needs to get his mental. Yeah, out. I mean, there was a lot of talk by angry people on Twitter. Well, Twitter is basically just full of angry yeah, people, really. There's a lot of folk calling for him to be traded. And you know what? That isn't a bad shout. And I can't believe I'm saying that. But you've got Alfonso Davies that can play there. You've got Breck Shea that can play there. Yeah. Teixeira, who I would also possibly try and trade. But <laughs> Mesquita, De Jong. Yeah. You have the cover there. And Kikuta is so thought of in American soccer. I mean, you had to look... Everyone knew he was not going to start last night. But the MLS preview caption and the, and the whole picture they had for the whole game was a picture of Manny as the Whitecaps guy. Yeah. So he is so highly thought of. The, the, the return the Caps could get for Manny in a trade... Would it be more Right than, now, yeah. 
is massive. Would it be more than what they could have got from Maddox or what Maddox said they would have gotten for him? I don't think anything would have got what Maddox thought he was going to get traded for. <laughs> but we well, could get... A, oh, I know, I agree with we, you. We could get a massive return. It would be a well, King's ransom. But, but the, the clock is ticking, right? Because exactly. he's in the last year of his deal. Come July 1st, he can sign a pre-contract wherever he wants. Although MLS probably has rules on him going wherever in MLS. The one thing is uh, we do know is that they they have begun to talk like they, they you know in the preseason they were they there were discussions on what yep. the future looks like going forward. Um, I don't know the the details of those discussions. But I, but I would think the Caps want to lock him up to keep their options open. Totally. But yeah, I mean, if Manny says, "Look, I'm not going to bother signing anything just now, or we'll talk about it in the summer," that even adds more. Yes. Yeah. To the fact that we can if, we can trade him. If there's not a deal, if, he, if there's not a redone deal here for him in Vancouver by the end of June, that's the, a, that's the problem. He's, he's, yeah. He'll be either sent. To, I don't think he'll go to Europe yet, but I, I think he'll be will be traded within MLS. Another right. thing as well, though, is he can leave because he now has his American citizenship, so yeah. he can go anywhere. Yeah, and it's not going to affect residency status or whatever. Well, yeah, because there are rules in Europe for yeah. depending on the team or so, country you're from. Throwing this out there then, if he is on the trade block, even say in this transfer window, not looking at individual players unless you can you can think of somebody, but what what should we try and get back? What kind of positional piece should we try and get back for him? A striker. Number one, a number a proper number nine. Uh, not but a we, proper but we have Montero. Montero. No, but but what I'm saying is another striker who maybe is uh, domestic, so American. And um, with some size, so kind of uh, kind of offsets what Montero supplies. Will Bruno already went to the Flounders, man. Alan Gordon. Again, okay. again, I, I, we had him once. Man. I still like. Alan I think Gordon. that's a little bit little where Kakuta met. But no, <laughs> Alan but Gordon in a bucket with a tam. Uh, no, but I, I think there is, there's got maybe somebody out there that they can trade for, yeah. um, that can provide that. The, the problem with like doing a big trade to bring in a striker is Rob was only going to play one striker. And that one striker is going to be Montero. So you're kind of well, you get somebody, wasting it or looking for next year. You get somebody that's young enough that he's willing to stay on the bench behind Montero. If we get and, a, and can develop if, into the number one. If we get a box to box center midfielder, that's another then, position. Yeah. Then yeah. they're going to play two strikers. They're not going to have. They're not going to bring in a, a number ten. Oh, I guess Jordy might play there, but yeah. Uh, well, the, the plan is for Jordy yeah, to be right, the ten. Right. And Ro- Robo said that, and Bobby said that very clearly preseason. When Yordi's fit, Yordi's going to be the ten. But until then, you can play two strikers. Yeah. But here's the thing: the other, the the hope is, and I know you could say, "Oh, this has been what four, five years, whatever, for over four years," is that Kakuda would recognize because there there have been. I, I will say this: there have been glimpses. There have been times where, oh, he has played defense. Oh, he has tracked back. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's he has consistency. He has marked his man in the, in the whatever. Yeah, it's the consistency of that. And maybe maybe what's happened in the last this last week is a is. Is um, an encouragement for him to focus on that that part of his game. So we're talking about the defense, and we talked to Robo there about Kendall Waston and David Usted's per- performances. Mark Rogers was on Twitter, former centre back himself. I'm saying how well I thought Kendall played last night, but Mark was saying, "No, you're a centre back. Your job is to make no mistakes. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you play good for ninety five percent of the time. Yeah. If that other five percent costs you the team's goals." You've not had a good game. Fair? No, well, coming from a, uh, another centre back, I uh, probably probably that's the way they all feel. That's the the, the mentality that you go into every game, um, because because the, we talk about like for example referees. 
if we don't talk about them, that means they had a good game. It's the same thing with center back, same thing with defensive midfielders that kind of fall into that as well. Yeah, so if you don't talk about them, that means they had a good game. If you talk about them, they made a mistake. I don't disagree with with Ted, with Mark Rogers, Ted Rogers, whatever you want to call him. He's a good fellow. He, I think he's looking at it. I think, I think that's probably how Kendall will feel about it, right? Yeah, he'll probably feel like, yeah, yeah, I played good for X amount of time. Well, but- Ke- Kendall obviously feels bad because he was looking at the game tape on the play in the white caps, and I think they did this on purpose to try and deflect any abuse of him. I don't th- he was looking through game tape yeah. and he watched that play. They said over and over and over. Uh-huh. Because he, he wants to get better. An analyst who who's played centre back before is going to make those comments yeah. for sure. But uh, but he did like he he did more than it was like as the captain and as his leading from the back. Like he did more than just what he did. He galvanized our team. I felt like like there was that one corner in the first half where the ball went out to the top of the box. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. And you're like, oh, who's going to close him down? And Kendall. Like just came charged and almost like killed the like if he had made contact with he would have just it killed like him. A bowl, yeah, and he just went right through him and like then okay the whole line moved up and the ball play moved out and went, like there, there's more tangibles yeah. than than just you know. But then on the flip side of that and we'll we'll turn to San Jose now, Kendall and Christian Dean got into that tangle that led to the game changing moment. I have I have a bigger problem than that than what happened yesterday. That that, that yeah. that's a bigger issue because. Whether it was Kendall, I think it should. I think personally, with two center backs, I think it's Kendall's uh, fault because he is the veteran. He's the captain. Oh, I don't know if he was captain that day, but he was the he is the captain normally. He should have called Christian off. Yeah, two, whether Christian two didn't hear it or should not, not be going for the same. Ball. Whether Christian didn't hear it or not, I don't know. But he should have been the one that called it off. So if okay. if there was no call, if there was no calling off of Christian, it's Kendall's fault on that call. Uh, I don't. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And it will be interesting to find out what happened there when yeah. we maybe talk to the, these guys as they come back from the trip. But at the same time, as yes, maybe one person should call it off. The way I saw it was you had the right the ball coming towards the right center back side of the field with the which strike, was Kendall, which was Kendall's side, and you had the left center back coming over, not into their position, not into their, uh, not to where they should be positioned. And inter- trying to intercept it in front of the other player. Yeah. So you're right. I think calling it, not calling it is a part of it. But just like the basics of it are, that left center back should never be cutting in front yeah. of the, 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 the other center in, back. But in that's an inexperienced center back who hasn't played in a year and a half or whatever it is. So I, th- who had a great game the week no, before? No, yeah, and, and he but, had a great game against San Jose too. No, no, sorry, not a great game, but he had a solid game against San Jose aside too. From that, yeah. Yeah. So and, and on that goal too. I have a little bit of an issue with Ousted as well. Ousted? Ousted. 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 He was definitely ousted on the play. <laughs> no, but he, he, he needs to be a little bit more in like tune with his body. Well, and not he he flies out of the box like more than to... any keeper. Yeah. Although the Tigris guy last night seemed to like to come out as well. It might be the red shirts. It's just... Uh, I, th- I think he should, you gotta you gotta stay in front of Wondolowski so, and just make him go big and yeah. wave so, your hands I, out it, and then try to distract yeah. him from the thing. Yeah, he went to the deck, which yeah. wasn't well really because good. because he had come out of the box. That yeah. was, but so you had again talking about Twitter. You had I think I think Marius on Twitter was like Marius was commenting on Twitter and saying like, oh, he made the right play, he made the right decision, he should have come out. He, it's okay that he got sent off. It's better to not give up a goal. Obviously, hindsight is yeah. twenty twenty. I, I that was that was the view I take as well though. 
Like I would rather like you're two goals I'd up. I'd rather have my keeper in there you and ha- not have to go down to ten men. Yeah, That's but you're, you're two goals up. You have to feel confident that you're going to close a game out when you're two goals up. But for for so two three quarters of the game. Yeah, no, I don't. Even agree so, with that. I wouldn't have expected us to come away with a three-two defeat. No, but he he didn't come out trying to bring him down, and it wasn't a deliberate. Like he stuck his his leg was trailing. So it's not that he deliberately tried it to looked, get himself no, sent it looked, off. It looked like he raised does his, his leg. leg does his leg normally move in that motion when he's running out? Yeah. <laughs> does he usually trail his leg when he's moving yeah. off? No, that looked a little bit intentional, which is why I had no problem with the sending I'm off. still not 100% certain, though, that he made contact with Wondolowski. I think he did. I think he did. I haven't seen an angle that showed me that. It was it, it was rash anyway. San Jose. Yeah. It, it was rash, no matter what. And he does have a tendency for flying out of his box, and we've seen it a lot. But we're we're, in the, we're we're at we're at we're talking about a very key moment and probably the decisive moment in the yep. game. We are forgetting about the first twenty-two minutes yeah. of the match. In Let's which talk about that. Eric Hurtado put in a a, a really good performance, a I, good finish, yeah. and a great assist. As we've always said in this podcast, Hurtado is one for the future. He's a great striker. We've had his back since day one. His near post strike uh, in the preseason, a fantastic finish yeah. th- at that time. But yeah, no, I agree yeah. with you. He's he's, I, he's he's had a couple. Of, he in San Jose. He showed that he can be that guy you, up top in certain moments. I don't appreciate your sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I actually I, said I can't remember if it was. <laughs> I can't remember if it was in the podcast or if it was on Twitter. I remember I got poo pooed by a lot of people for it. I said that I think. Hurtado can get to double figures this year. I, I genuinely think that if he gets an early goal, he'll have Check. the confidence to go and do that. He's now got that early goal, yeah. and he had a great play for the assist on, on the second goal from Mosquito as well. Here's my, here's I, I, th- I think I agree with you, because if you if you look at all competitions, he's going to be playing a lot in other competitions as well. I think he can get those goals. Here's one thing, Michael. I, I don't know about you, because uh, you go to training more than I do, but the training sessions I've been to since they came back from Portland, or definitely since they came back from Wales, if it, that goal felt a little bit like the setup, it felt a little bit like I was watching them do what they do in training. The, yeah. the way they've been focusing on the yeah. wide play yep. and cutting those balls back either for the number ten ish or the one of one of the wingers. See, no, no, one of the uh, one of the center central midfielders. Right? We you know, remember that one training session. We were like, "Wow, Matias Lab is shooting a lot," yeah. and like, yeah. I, that, it, but it, to me, it felt like. This is the fruit of the hard work they're, they've been putting in in training. It felt like almost like, not automatic, Hurtado but... Hurtado has always worked his ass off in training. And it's like, I know we give him a lot of stick in this show. Because a striker has to score. Ultimately, that's yeah. what a striker has to do. I or still, I still have my doubts that he is MLS starting quality. There's no doubt he's a, he's a good fringe guy. And in a situation where you're playing two different teams, he was always going to get the start, I, I think, against... Uh, San Jose on Saturday he does score at training It's he needs the confidence to k- keep doing it consistently during games and I will say the 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 noose that he showed to get that first goal it was great he showed hustle he showed a really good finish and if he can keep doing that then he will get goals I was impressed with this the second goal the yeah. way he set that up too that was a great move on the full back he Left him in his dust and he found Mosquito. And we were in dreamland at that point, and yeah. then it soon oh. turned into the nightmare when yeah. when Usta gets sent off. So, 
Oh, yeah, so Olsted gets sent off, and then we so we go from one the turning point of the game to one of the most criticized points of the game is you have to bring on a keeper. Yeah. So you're bringing on your backup keeper, Paul Ternagi, and it's who are you going to take off? So on social media and whatnot, people were extremely critical of the fact that uh, Nicholas Mosquito was removed from the game. So what we what we did was obviously remove the number ten, so that we still had essentially a shape of the team. A four four yeah, yeah four, four, four 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 one two banks of four sort of, and her title can can pull back in. Now lots of people were critical of that because of Manet's previous defensive liabilities. Yeah, and in Tachera, who also sometimes can be defensively defensively not. The most intimidating. I, I would have taken Teixeira off. I've got to say, and I would have put Nico out wide. Or no, and, you, yeah. I wouldn't have done that. I would have, I would have done Teixeira, but I would have put Hurtado out wide. Oh, actually, and yeah. keep Nico in there so he can control the ball in the midfield and, and connect with those. Actually, two no, that would have been play with no nine. Yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. So I, I, uh, I didn't. I, I felt like Nico should not have been taken off. Also, and yeah, I, I thought Mane or yeah. Teixeira should have been take, taken off, and. I understood the, the criticism, but then I also listened to was it your conversation yep, it, with your conversation with Robbo. Do you want to? Yeah, actually, let, let's just play it. So this was in our extra podcast. So we'll, we'll a lot of folk won't have heard this. So we'll, we'll play this. I asked Robbo after the game. Robbo came out according to the tweet that TSN Radio sent out, basically saying, "Yeah, I was wrong. I shouldn't have taken him off. I apologized to him," making it sound that he was like, "Yep, I did the wrong thing." opening Robbo up to a flood of criticism about just his tactics and everything like that. So I asked Robbo about that, and here's what he said about that. Just going back to Saturday's game, it was interesting on the radio afterwards, you mentioned that you felt you'd got the the substitution wrong by taking Nico off. It's got got you a lot of criticism, really, by kind of admitting that. Do you wish you maybe hadn't admitted that and just kept it private? Well, you know, if that's the way it was, portrayed and come across, I didn't admit I got it wrong. What I said was in hindsight, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, I, I maybe could have looked at doing something different, and I did. At the time, I did look, me and the coaches, we spoke about certain things. If you, you know, And the one thing that was sticking in my mind is last year when we played here at San Jose, Nico played on the left side of a 4-4-2, uh, and he didn't um, have as good a game as he would like, and I think he, he, he felt he was in an uncomfortable position, uh, and that was Part of the reason as well why didn't he started so well and so bright and scored and assisted, um, and then to go and ask him to play in that role which he's not uncomfortable probably wouldn't have been fair with him. So uh, at the time, it was portrayed that I got it wrong. No, that's not what I meant to say. I meant to say that um, in hindsight, it's easy to look back and say, well, might he have he've done better in certain aspects? Yeah, he might have, but you know, unfortunately, I don't get to take that back. I made the decision. I, you know, will. Um, handle the decision, i got to take criticism for it, whether it's right or wrong. So if, if I meant it that way, then I didn't need it to come out that way. So as Robbo said there, he didn't admit he made a mistake, he just said in hindsight he would maybe have done it a little bit differently. And he gave the rationale, which I think validates, whether you agree with it or not, validates his opinion. He says, I remember when yep. we were here at the end of the season last year in San Jose, we put Nico on the left and he was very ineffective. And I didn't want to have to do the. I didn't want to do the same thing. I didn't want to have the. I didn't want to have Nico wide again because we felt like he was not effective there six months ago or whatever it was. So instead, let's keep our wide players wide and do the do this. Going on a tangent though, I would have loved to you follow up. Why do you keep putting Bustos on the left side or the wing? Then I have asked him about that. <laughs> yeah. 
And but, he but, said it's because he needs to be able to play all the midfield positions. Then why yeah. can't he go? Exactly. Was, but, but that's not the point. Okay, let's get yeah. back to the... Yeah. This, well, that's an in-game. That was yeah. an in-game change, right? So, I don't want to go off on a huge tangent here, because this is probably a, a good debate to have in another show. And it's maybe going to be hard to keep this brief. But, it does... The criticism that Robo got on Saturday, I feel, in a lot of ways, is justified. He shows time and again a tactical naivety that gets punished. He shows, he talks all the time about not getting caught up in formations, but is pretty resolute in playing a 4-2-3-1, even when there's better players to play different formations. He's a young manager, he'll tell you he makes mistakes and he's learning on the job, but after this amount of time in charge, patience is wearing thin with a number of fans, and you do have to question, does he have that tactical ability to react when things go wrong in games? It's hard to say. Um, you think, does he have it or will he develop it? And does he have it now? Because he clearly needs to develop it. I, 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 well, that, that obviously we have your answer. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm, kinda, <laughs> I'm leading with that one. Um, no, but I, I, do, I agree with you that I, I, it's, at moments he does. But there are moments he doesn't. So maybe the same thing with Kuda. He needs more consistency with having those, uh, being tactically aware. Um, I I think he's. I, I've seen him like the way he's put out games. Some games he has been masterful. But there and are times. Tigris is a, an example of that because yeah. that was a perfect game. Plan. I think and, I, and and in New Jersey. I yeah. think in game he might have to deal with uh, getting better tactically. I think maybe he's just not able to react. He did say he more? consulted his coaches, yeah. and it was a it was a coaching staff decision. I don't think you no. should. I don't think you should consult with coaches during no. a game. I think the coach, the head guy, needs to make that. I think the, you need to maybe go into the game with ideas. If this happens, this, this is what we're going to do. But once it happens, you have to like go at it. The criticism is fair, and Robbo will always um, he will always take criticism. He he knows that's part of his job or whatever. The thing I feel, the other side of this, Michael, and we, we kind of already talked about it really, is I feel like the the players, and you could say, okay, maybe Kakuta specifically in, in some ways, let him down. Because we don't know all the words that were said, but when, yeah. they, when they took him off, it, it, it was, it, Kakuta was left on for his pace to cause, you know, to be able to stretch the field. To counter-attack, give, counter-attack give San Jose something and, and to worry seen, about. we've seen him play in 10-man situations where he does that. Exactly. But whether it was things were specifically said from, from Robbo or the coaching staff, Kukuda let, let them down defensively, right? Yeah. And it, it should have been like, hey, we're down to 10 men. I need to be more defensive responsi- responsible. Whether, whether that, again, whether that's clearly communicated or not like you sh- you should know that as a as a player we are now short yeah. well, i need to do more and on the second goal that we gave away uh yeah kakuda was yeah. when a 16 year old is showing better football iq in that sense than manny that's had all these years in the league that's when there's a, a big, big issue. And Jay Duke has called it before. Yeah. Whenever we've talked about, well, why would you take off Davies when he's way more defensive yeah. responsible? Defensive. So coming full circle, just to wrap this segment up, the defence in San Jose, after we went down the man, and a lot of it was from the midfielders not tracking back, but even the back four, they were all over the shop. And there was a lot of mistakes. There was diving in and... I don't know. It's like, who is our best back four just now? Who do we want to see going forward? I, well, I, th- I, I think, think Harvey on the left side. 
for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean that that's I, that's I, a I given. Think, I think Williams has earned it on the right on the right side. I agree. Waston and Waston, and it, for the, me, it, Parker's the best centre back consistency wise. He mm. doesn't make as many mistakes, but I'm not. I'm not. But as, he's not as talented as Waston. I, I think. I think no. I think Parker should be in there for sure, and I, I think Waston's in there. I think too. Parker and Waston are the number one and two, but yeah. Uh, Ken, not, Kendall's going to be leaving for international duty. Yeah. He's going to be at the Gold Cup. Yeah. There's going to be different things. So Christian Dean needs to continue to get some minutes in some certain totally. scenarios, so that when there's going to be two to four games in a row, he's ready. Yeah. He's ready to. And roll. It's the life of a footballer. One minute you're getting all the praise from Saturday, and then you're getting slated. To- and, and, I, and who I, knows I, when but, that but, when that happens? Then Christian Dean might take the spot for himself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm not as nervous. As I was at the beginning of the year with Christian Dean being the number three center back, that's hundred percent. Like I'm, yeah. I'm I, you, I was a little because that's how long he's been out, but I, it's not there anymore. Thanks for joining us in that camp. So let's move on from talking about the the most recent two games, and we're going to bring you our player interview now with Breck Shea. He didn't play on Saturday; he wasn't in the eighteen. He was being fully rested for the the game on Tuesday down in Mexico. Breck Shea, he's he's got a bit of a reputation. He comes to the club whether fairly or unfairly, uh, with some things that, that's gone on in his past when he was a young player. It's kind of always got to be remembered that he came into professional football straight from high school. Um, and young guys make mistakes. That's what Robo said when he came here. He's like, look, every young guy makes mistakes. And it's like how you then mature into that. He's also a guy that is kind of known for not giving very chatty interviews. And you've kind of seen that in some of the scrums so far that, that he's done here in Vancouver. So I take that as a challenge. So I want to have a sit down with Breck just to get to know the guy a little bit better, talk about some of his previous football exploits and just what it means to him to be in Vancouver. So here's our chat now with Whitecaps' new left winger, striker, however he wants to get played, Breck Shea. So I guess I want to start off by asking you, can I mention this a little bit after the CCL game, but it's been a bit of an emotional whirlwind for you the, the last bit of time. Have you had a chance really to, to settle in here yet, or is it still all really new to you? Uh, no, I mean, I think I'm settling in on the side of the as the team, knowing the players and, and, and the, the staff and stuff like that. I think they've made it as comfortable as it can be, and... Uh, I think until I have a house and moved in and my family's up here and that stuff, then obviously that side of it, I'll start to feel comfortable. MLS is such a weird league because you don't know that moves are coming. When did you first find out that that you were coming here? Was it after the deal was done? Yeah, I found out 10 minutes before everyone else found out. Wow. So um, I was told and... I didn't even have a chance to tell my family before my family saw it on on uh, social media. So that's, that's, that's a, yeah. the only notice I got. Coming up here, obviously, do you know any of the, the guys in the team before you came here, or is it all new faces to you? No, uh, I mean, I've played with some of the guys, and I've played against most of the guys. So um, uh, I know, know some better than others, and I know of uh, most of them, to be honest. So... Um, uh, my, my week here has been, been good. I've got to know, uh, obviously, the players a lot better that I didn't know. 
When you went to Orlando and you came back to MLS, they had you there in a defensive role. Was that something that you knew when you went there? Or was that just something that you kind of talked about when you got there? Did you like that role or are you happier in an attacking role? Uh, I didn't know when I was going there that that was going to happen. Um, but I, I accepted. I'm, I'm pretty much a, a team player and I, I just want the team to do well. And Because and, and, I know if the team does well, then it reflects on individuals. So, um, like I said, I didn't know. But, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I can play it. I don't think um, I had... Uh, I like to attack more, so I spend a lot of times um, attacking. So if we were in a game where we we um, didn't have the ball a lot, it, it wasn't as fun for me, obviously. Now, you you came out of high school, you signed a pro contract right away with Dallas. You kind of held up as the next big thing in American soccer. Did that, looking back at that time, did that put added pressure on you? Is there anything you would have done a bit different? No, probably not. I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, people tagged me um, as that. I never said anything like that. I, I play the sport for fun. Like, do I wish I um, had better, played better longer in certain times and, and consistency? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any player doesn't. But um, I'm happy with what I've done. I've learned a lot. and It's made me a better person and a better player. When you see a guy here like Alfonso, everyone's talking about him, he's getting hyped up. Does that kind of take you back to like when you were about that age and everyone was talking about you? Yeah, I mean he's a uh, he's a good player. He's a very good player. I think um, no one can doubt that. Um, um, yeah, I think players can get overhyped, and uh, it, like you said, it can be not overhyped. It could just put added pressure. And then, but I think um, the coaching staff here is a uh, is a good one to, to for players and especially young players to help them. Um, keep him level-headed and so I think they're doing a pretty good job with him. You went over to England obviously and there's been a lot written, I've read lots of stuff in the last couple of days just about what you're talking about your experience there. Yeah. A lot of, like when we speak to a lot of young players here especially, they're like, oh that's their dream to go and, and play there mm-hmm. but the grass isn't always greener as I think you've kind of said. What would, what would you say to somebody that that's their dream to go over there? I mean, would you want to go back and try it again? Uh, I mean, everyone has their own dreams, and people are different. I, I, I would say I learned a lot and made me a better person, like I said earlier. But I didn't enjoy my time there. I, not so much the soccer side of things. I just my life outside of soccer. I, I uh, did not enjoy that. Um, so when I wasn't enjoying my my everyday life, it's hard to enjoy football, which you love. So um, that that I think that was the hardest part. But I don't want to say that someone else might not enjoy it because everyone's different. So I'm just saying from my personal experience, my life outside of football made it hard for me to enjoy football. So One of the things I read, you were talking about your time then, you said that the camaraderie wasn't really there in, in the locker room and it, it is different. I mean, from covering yeah. the game myself over there, it is very different when you're speaking to players and stuff. Here in Vancouver, they kind of pride themselves on having like a close-knit locker room. Yeah. Have you noticed that already in your short time here? Yeah, I think uh, this team is um, very close-knit and the camaraderie is really good. I think uh, um, it's second to only the 2011 Dallas team I play- for me that I played on and we went to the finals that year. So that that was the closest-knit team I've ever seen and I, there was guys, older guys when I played with there that said that I'd never played another team like this and as a young kid, you kind of just laugh it off. You don't really expect that. And now that I've 
played in different teams and over the years, it really was something special. But this is, I mean, like I've only been here a week and I know everyone and I feel welcome and, and everyone jokes to everyone. And that's, just, that's not just players, that's staff and um, coaching, medical. Everyone seems to be very, very close. And um, it's uh, when you have something like that as an organization, you can do something special. And I watched an interesting video with you last night, going back a couple of years where you were fishing with a guy and you were talking about like things like fishing and painting. You like that outside of soccer because you don't want soccer to be everything that kind of takes over your whole life. A lot of players don't have those kind of outside interests, but has it really helped you the last couple of years, just stuff like that? I just think that I really love soccer and I think with anything, if you do it too much or you don't have a chance to uh, do something else to escape that or to leave it and then when you come back you enjoy it that much more. Think about like when players in any sport talk about they get injured and then how much more they appreciate the game when they come back because they realize when they're injured. For me it's like I play soccer um, and and I work my hard my hardest as I can and then when I go home I want to do other things so that the next day I'm mentally and, and physically fresh to play it again and I, I want I'm hungry for it again because if I did it all day I, I for me again this is personally I it wouldn't be as fun for me I mean when you play as a, as a kid it's stressless you know it's something fun and, and now it's, it's our job so you got to find a way uh, an outlet to just for me like art and fishing is there's no right or wrong they're just it's just relaxing and, and fun so it's a way for me to clear my head and especially whether it's a good week or a bad week it's just get away from it and come back fresh the, the painting side it's when did when did you kind of have that artistic side come out of you I, I looked at your studio and some of the stuff and some of the paintings and it, it's very different to what a lot of footballers do but it, it's, it looks excellent yeah I just um, I think my mom was a creative person and I enjoyed art in school and so I kind of just started doing it and just to fill spaces up in my house and and uh, people were interested in it. Um, that's how it kind of started. But now it's something I really enjoy doing. And um, I mean, I could take a canvas and paint it out. My I can take a trash can and paint. It. I I just put paint on anything and get in trouble by my my wife because <laughs> there's certain things she'd be we'll, we'll buy and she'd be like, don't paint this because <laughs> I'll just start painting random things in my house and uh, it's just fun for me to look at it like something and be like. Because anyone can go buy a table at a store. I yeah. in Florida, I, I build my tables and then sometimes I paint them or burn burn something into it just to make it. I did it. I don't yeah, make it wanna, unique. And yeah, I don't want to just go to a store and, and get it. Um, so that's just something I, li- I like to do. And last thing, because I know you're free. Um, Robo had talked about he's hoping that when when you get here, that you can be knocking on Bruce Arena's door, getting back into the international setup. Is that what you're really hoping to to get from this move, or you just want to enjoy your football? No, I think uh, I want to do well. Um, I want the team to do well because, I said earlier, it reflects on and helps individuals because if the team's doing well, then then players are playing well for the team to do well. And then I just – I'm focused on Vancouver. Obviously, I want to play for the national team because I really enjoy that. I like this country. Um, But I'm just focused on on this, on Vancouver, because if I play well here – team and team plays well then those will come later so it's something I think that I don't focus on the national team because then people don't think I'm worried about this I'm worried about Vancouver 
and then if we do well, then I'll, those those chances will come for for not just me, for any, a lot of the guys who play for their their countries. Thanks so much, Brett. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I know you're freezing. Thanks, man. <laughs> So that was Brick Shea there just talking about all things Whitecaps and some of the stuff that's going on in his soccer life so far. We kind of spoke to Brick for 10 minutes there on the record and then I ended up driving him around UBC for a little bit uh, just to get him back to the training centre and stuff because he didn't know the way to go and there was no one left to, to take him back there. So we're chatting a little bit more and he, he was telling me that his wife's actually half Canadian so she has a Canadian passport so hopefully she will settle in here. She's also six months pregnant though with her with her second child, so it's, it's the whole MLS thing, we've discussed it before about Alan Rashat, where basically players, and they know that they're signing up to this, but it still doesn't make it right, they've got no say Breck mentioned there, he found out about the transfer 10 minutes before everyone else, and he didn't even get to tell his wife before she read it on, online, it's not right Not at all, it's it's uh, in the words of Emily Rashad, it's inhumane. It is, and it's, and I know they sign up for that, but have a little bit of compassion. At least speak to the people before. Say, look, this is going down. Prepare your family for it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And and and, and they know they know they know that they 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 set it up that way. I remember I was once at a I was once at a, an engagement where Martin Rennie was speaking at a public engagement, and and there was a question and answer period. And someone said, what's the most difficult thing you've had to do when you were a coach? And he said, uh, well, one of the things is, you know, when you have to tell a player that you're trading them or whatever. And, and so he went and he didn't name it, but and I don't think many people in the room fully understood what he was talking about. But he told the story of how, uh, you know, on a Friday, training was over in the morning. Friday afternoon, he was doing some he was rep- repping the club at some stuff. Uh, and he got the he got the call from people on the committee, the football committee, saying that we've traded Eric Hasley to Toronto. The deal's done. You got to you you got to tell him uh, it's going public in the next whatever thirty minutes or an hour or whatever. And and he's just like, and the guy lived in Langley. Yeah. And it would take me an hour and a half to drive to his house to tell him to his face. So I had to call him. And I can't remember what Martin Rennie said uh, in that. That is shocking. Yeah, I can't remember what he said in that public interview, but I know from <laughs> I know from talking to Eric about it. I know that Eric's response to uh, the call was, um, well, was to hang up essentially. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and and deal with it later. But um, I like when it's a non North American player as well that doesn't even under- really fully understand that. It, it just makes it crazy. But I mean, Breck, he seems to be fitting in with the team. He talked about the great camaraderie in the locker room. He already feels kind of part of this team. Do you think he's going to fit into the Whitecaps style of play? We've not seen a lot from him so far that makes you think, hey, he's really worth this designated player money. But from talking to him, he he said to me that he doesn't care if he's got a designated player tag or not. It means nothing to him. Uh, he, He still plays the same way and he wants to win for the team. But when you have that tag, it's like a millstone around your neck. Yeah, it it can be. That's for sure. I think, I think he'll settle in fine in terms of the, the locker room. I don't foresee any problems there. My my concern is that, you know, Robbo has publicly said he's brought him in here as 
a left-sided midfielder and a striker and a forward. And to me, Breck Shea is not an out-and-out striker. He's not a center forward. As he's shown so far with his touch. Well, yeah, when we've been playing him there. We've been we've been trying, trying to use him as we have a tall, big-body guy who can hopefully knock balls on in the air or can bring balls in, in, in control in the air and 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 uh, and lay them off to other guys, bring other guys into play. And it, I don't think it's played out the, fully the way they had hoped. And I don't, like you said, I don't think that that's utilizing him in the, in the best way possible. So, kind of turning our attention to this Saturday's game, Toronto FC... You probably let listeners know as well that Steve's had to leave. So if you're wondering why it's just Zach and me talking now, turning our attention to TFC. Obviously, a lot of guys put in a hard shift on Tuesday, but this is a big game. It's a Canadian derby. Keen to get the, their first win of the season. They've only got one point so far from their from their first two games. Better than some teams like LA. <laughs> We're better than LA. Quarter of the money, if not less. But it is a big game, so it's like, do you play guys like Breck Shea that, that played so much against Tigris, or do you have to mix it up again? It's going to be interesting to see how they, they handle squad rotation for this, uh, who's going to be in the 11, who's going to be in the 18. I think that one of the pros going into this, uh, the cons are obviously, yes, the, 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 well, the energy, the effort, both physical and mental, that was, was spent on Tuesday... And on Saturday, the pre- the preceding Saturday are big. The other side to this is there's an international break coming up. So, yeah. it's, so in one sense, it's okay. We kind of need to go all in on this one game, and we're going to have two weeks off before our next competitive match, before our next league match. And so, um, I think I think that will play in on things a little bit. So I think you I, I think you probably, you know, will see guys like, you know, Alfonso Davies back in the starting eleven. I think uh, I think you'll see, you know, probably uh, Kendall uh, and, and Tim Parker at the back and I mean, I think we may see Nerwinski in at right back just because Shannon Williams hasn't been fully fit yep. coming into this season. Or fully healthy rather. And 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 Jake's been doing great in his uh adaptation to MLS and his kind of learning on the job kind of thing and and uh, he's it feels like he's been growing and that that his uh, his time on the pitch his minutes on the pitch have been been helpful um, and he has also made some contributions so yeah I could see I could see that happening I, the, the bigger questions to me will be like some of those guys up top right you talk yeah. about Breck Shea we have our the one year loney like you know, played sixty minutes. First time he's played more than an, an hour in a game. And yeah, I don't expect him to start, but at the same time, we need him to start because at some point he has to get in the swing of things. Yeah, I think I think I think Eric Hurtado will start up front. Yeah, I think in you know in the league he's yeah in form and uh, I'm probably expecting Rusty in his DM. Yeah, beside Laba, I think Laba and Rusty would be a, a good bet in the middle of the park. And if Mauro Rosales is good to go. We could see Mauro starting either as the ten or on right wing. Yeah, and that, that's the one of the interesting things is how 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 is Toronto going to prepare for us for this match? I think there's we have so many Missing questions. Javinko. Yeah, well, they have we have so many questions on how on what we could do and where we could put different guys, and maybe that's not a, a always a pro from our perspective, but for them in terms of preparing for how we're going to play, I don't think it's very clear cut. I don't think it's necessarily very obvious we're going to play 
this way or that way. Some people might disagree and say we're going to play long balls out of the back and, and whatever. But I really, I really think that having, uh, yeah, having Morrow, like you said, Morrow could play a ten, and that would create different kind of kind of options. Um, Although with Nico not playing fully last Saturday and then coming on as a sub, you have to kind of think Nico is going to start as a ten. I kind of think we're going to have Nico as ten, Mauro on the right with Bola coming on for him, probably about an hour mark, and then Alfonso, Alfonso on the left. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And then Paulo Tornaghi in net. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. And so is Spencer Ritchie. Or Spencer be- Ritchie. Well, that's the thing. Spencer Ritchie, who had been loaned to WFC2 for the season, shortest loan deal ever, yep. is now going to be back. And Robbo wouldn't commit on the radio last night that Tornaghi was definitely starting. He just said, whichever one of my keepers start. Because Paolo, he had a couple of good saves against San Jose, but he didn't cover himself in glory with some of the, the other yeah, shots that he faced. It felt, it felt a little bit weird. It felt like, you know, his, his first MLS game was in San Jose last year, and it felt like he had like yeah. he had time to prepare for it, you know what I mean? It yeah. felt like mentally ready and stuff. And if uh, it, it felt like watching watching the, the San Jose game, it felt like, yeah, was, you know, there were a couple of plays where it felt like, okay, is that nerves? Is that... Because interestingly, when I spoke to him about being a backup, he said you always have to be ready yes. mentally to come in, and he and didn't look it. I I, I, I agree. I, yeah, and I think he I think he is in in essence. But yeah, once in that game, once he got on the pitch, it, there were a couple of moments where you're like I think he wished he had that back. Yeah, you know? um, it, it would be it would be a massive thing for his confidence if he got dropped and Spencer Ritchie came in, <laughs> and it's a massive gamble to take on Spencer to put him into a game like that. But he's a good keeper. He's a great shot stopper, and I, I, I've liked Spencer in the two years at USL. I spoke about this in the podcast. He was way ahead of Marco Carducci for me, and I, I would not be unhappy if they if they put Spencer in there. I think you, you're right in that it would definitely play with a team dynamic. Yeah, um, and I don't know. Um, like Paul has a, Paul has a, has always had a great attitude. I I I if he doesn't start that game, I I wonder if, if yeah how if that'll be like a breaking point. I know how can you be happy? Yeah, when that's your chance, and you know that as soon as the suspension's over, David comes back in. So it's one of the few times he's going to play this year. Yeah. I do still feel that he played that game in San Jose. Robo kind of said it was as a reward, but I do think it was to put him in the shop window because they thought, oh, we'll help him find another club by showing how, how good he can play. And then they re-signed him. Well, they took his option, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, Paul is, a gr- Paul is a great guy. And so I, ho- I, I will always hope the best for him. Uh, so, so I kind of hope that he starts and he has a, a, a performance that we're all, he's proud of and we're all proud of. Um, I think the San Jose. The, see some of the things in the San Jose game, they were like, okay, the one ball, the one shot he didn't catch, and they scored, and was called back for offside. So you're like, okay, yeah, I don't think he got behind that ball the way he wanted to, but we got let off. Even to even for me, the cross where he punched it that then led to the it was the first goal. Like some people are like he should have caught that. Part of me is like. I don't know if he should have caught that. Maybe he should have got more on the punch, and his then his defense did not help him after that. And then some people were saying the third goal was also you could put on him, but for me, 
I don't know. I felt it was a quality strike that would yeah, be hard for most I kinda, people to get to. I held him up, I think, for that one as well. How important do you th- do you feel it is that the White Caps get something from this game? Because to to start with no wins from the first three games, there's already a growing online element that's kind of turning against Robo. It kind of feels. I think they'll be out for blood if if we finish with no wins from the first three games. Yeah, I, I, I I'm definitely hearing and seeing some of those same things that you're seeing on, on yeah. social media. Uh, Rightly or wrongly, because it's like, I, I do see both sides. Yeah. Folk aren't seeing an advancement in the team. Again, I, I, will, I this is not about Robbo. I would say this about all the coaches we've had. They're all limited in what they can do with our squad for two reasons. One, the limited, um, the limited amount of money we're willing to spend on designated players. And two... The fact that, uh, and the committee has said this publicly, that the committee ultimately controls those three designated player spots. And so when you, for me, and I believe I've said this with you and I on the, on the podcast before, Michael, when you control those three spots, you really control the makeup of the squad. And so they have said that's for us to give approval for. Um, th- therefore, it, it, it's really... It always it all, it comes back to them. Uh, a big part of it comes back to them. Then you can, Then you can have the conversation... What do you? What is the coach doing with what he has, or what he's what he's done? The other thing is, also with most of our coaching, especially in the MLS, the MLS era, is the coaches are the ones bringing the non-designated players in. Yeah, which is, so they're playing role of in North America, you'd say GM and GM and 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 coach, and you know other parts of the world, you might say they're playing the role of of coach or manager and technical director or whatever, but. Um, so you are you are building you are building with the blocks you kind of you know you you've kind of bought or whatever and so yeah you can have questions about that what that what that looks like or you know what he's done with 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 the stuff here but again for me the if you, your first concern as a supporter of this club needs to be with those who are entrusted to be stewards of it those are the ones who have limited our spending rightly or wrongly yep limited or put a put a limit on our spending no one knows what that limit is and they are the ones who have approved uh, or not approved of designated players and and that's if you if you want to get upset about something that's to me where you need to express your frustration first and then you it, once there's better clarity around that or once they give up control of that or once they give better public parameters around that and everyone knows what the actual situation is then you can say, okay, well, I really don't appreciate how the coach is doing, uh, dealing with what he's been given or what he's chosen. So, looking then at the, the TFC game on Saturday, Zach, what what would your prediction be for it? Do you do you see the team getting it done? Well, it, it's nice that Toronto's not bringing like the Jovinko's supposedly not either able to play or they're not going to have him play on our, our surface, whatever it is. So, I think that 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 helps us. But I think Toronto's still a very strong and very deep squad and. I think you'd have to favor Toronto in terms of, uh, even though they only have two draws to begin the year, I think you'd have to favor Toronto to to fight for a draw. And yeah. uh, on paper, you might say that they, 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 they should they should get a win here uh, again at BC Place. But um, I'm hoping I'm hoping we'll, we'll I'm hoping we'll get no le- no no less than a draw, and I'm hoping that somehow we'll be able to pull off our, our first victory of the season. I'm going to go for a one-one draw. 
And Bolanius getting the Whitecaps equaliser. Bola. Yeah. I think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna be a pretty game. And it's whether there's any kinda ill effects from travelling back, basically tiredness from travelling back from Mexico or just a bit of a hangover from that. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, they literally got on a plane at, uh, after the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, they flew out just before 11 o'clock on Tuesday night. So just before we finish this episode of the show, um, we're going to play a little bit of a fun piece. No wavelength this episode because we did our wavelength special on Sunday. So we're going to bring you a segment we've done on and off over the last couple of years. And it's about bucket lists. And we spoke to Tim Parker just about his footballing bucket list. Players, venues, games that you'd like to see, be part of. So let's hear that now. Here is Tim Parker's Bucket List. So, Tim, when you when you're in Wales, you you made it to London. You saw your first EPL game there. Yeah. That's obviously on a lot of folks' bucket list to kind of do something like that. How did you find that whole experience of seeing that game? I know you're a Spurs fan. It was Arsenal, yeah. but how, how did you find it all? It was incredible. I think just the opportunity to see the atmosphere there—it's just a different level. You know, I think as a, I guess, a professional over here, you you don't see that kind of level of commitment from many teams or many atmospheres or fans and stuff and I thought it was very nice to see as a as a fan not taking yourself out of, of being a footballer just now if you were to like look at a, a bucket list of some some stadiums around the world that you'd like to go and see a football match and what, what would be at the top of those for you I think the Bernabeu would be the top I think just going there and seeing kind of the atmosphere of that stadium and I think just the way they play would all tie in as well and as a player Obviously, you've got the international thing with America, you've got the white caps here, but if you could pick one team to play against and one player that you'd love to play against in your career, what would you go with? Um, it's tough because some of them we've gotten the opportunity to play against. Uh, I always wanted the opportunity to play against someone like a Frank Lampard, and um, I, was a, I, I enjoyed watching that team back then with the Frank Lampard and John Terry at Chelsea. And I think John Terry was my idol growing up, so I think he would probably be the player I'd love to play against. Like we talked about the Bernabeu there and stuff. If if you were to pick one kind of game from around the world, what, what what would that be? Would it be like Madrid Barcelona? Would it be Spurs Arsenal, or or what what would be your ultimate game to go and see? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think I think I'd have to go with an EPL match. Um, tough to pick just one. I think an Arsenal Spurs one would be great to watch just because I'm a Spurs fan, um, and that would be like a good London derby, but. I don't know, it's hard to pick just one just because there's so many good ones over there. That's great, thanks so much, yeah. Tim. Thank That's you. great, thanks. Tim Parker there with his bucket list. That's it for this episode of the show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM, and I'm a part of the movement Curva Collective. The dearly departed Steve Pander, you can find him on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. Read all our stuff online, away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Most of the Whitecaps Beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and the Western Conference reporter for USLsoccer.com. 
So until next time, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Ten minutes left. Yeah, but-